You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Ukrainian government websites may have come under an unspecified cyber attack early this week. Kaseya delays its VSA patch until Sunday and offers assistance to victims of VSA exploitations by Reval. The U.S. continues to mull its response to Russia over Reval and Cozy Bear. A small electric utilities business systems go offline after a ransomware attack. Microsoft continues to grapple with print nightmare. Caleb Barlow from Synergistic on the changing cyber insurance landscape. Our guest is Kwame Yamnanye from Quasar on how he seeks to inspire minority kids to code. And the U.S. will try again to get Julian Assange extradited. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Fittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, June 8th, 2021. While much of the news this week has been of rising tension in cyberspace between Moscow and Washington, cyber conflict hasn't left the rest of the world alone in the meantime. Reuters reports that on Tuesday afternoon, an unspecified cyber attack hit the official websites of Ukraine's president, the country's security services, and other institutions. Service was restored quickly, and there's been no attribution of the attack. But Reuters does note the hybrid war Russia has been waging against Ukraine over the past decade. The major story of the week remains, of course, Reval's exploitation of Kaseya's VSA to spread ransomware via MSPs who use VSA. Kaseya's CEO, Fred Vakola, in a video message posted at 9.45 Eastern Daylight Time last night, said the new release time for a fixed and patched VSA will be this coming Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. While Kaseya was confident the patches they developed had closed the vulnerabilities the extortionists exploited, Vakola said that third-party engineers and internal IT personnel recommended placing additional layers of security to protect against other exploits they may not foresee. The company also published a runbook last night of changes to the on-premises version of VSA, which should enable customers to prepare themselves for the coming update. Vakola also alluded in his video to Kaseya Cares, a 
a program initiated during the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic last year. Kaseya Cares provided direct assistance, both financial and advisory, to MSPs serving small to mid-sized businesses. He said they were extending similar help now to businesses affected by the VSA-propagated ransomware. U.S. President Biden yesterday left a meeting with advisors and said that he will deliver a response to Russia's President Putin over the ransomware attacks on U.S. companies. The New York Times reports that Mr. Biden's vague statement, delivered as he was departing for a trip, left it unclear whether he was planning another verbal warning to Mr. Putin, similar to the one he issued three weeks ago during a one-on-one summit in Geneva, or would move ahead with more aggressive options to dismantle the infrastructure used by Russian-language criminal groups. But it's at least clear that the U.S. administration's belief is that Russia bears some responsibility for the Kaseya ransomware campaign, even if that responsibility goes no farther than tolerating criminal behavior. Reval is not a new group, and it's operated for some time without molestation or interference, by Russian law enforcement or security organs. More evidence that Reval is following its practice of not hitting Russian targets was presented by Trustwave's Spider Labs, who, in their study of the operation against Kaseya, found that its ransomware packages avoided systems identifiable as Russian. The Times juxtaposes its account of deliberations about a response to Reval with a discussion of the U.S. administration's view of the attempt on the Republican National Committee, apparently by Russia's SVR. Mr. Biden said, quote, The FBI is working with the RNC to determine the facts. I will know what I'm going to do tomorrow, end quote. Whether this represents a causal link or mere correlation in time and circumstance isn't clear, but the focus of any U.S. response that may be under consideration in either case is Russia. The BBC quotes experts to the effect that the attempt to compromise the RNC looks like traditional espionage, but the Kaseya incident is another and arguably more serious matter altogether. The BBC thinks that sanctions and some arrangement that would secure Russian police cooperation against Reval are the two options the U.S. is most likely to avail itself of. Cooperation with Russian law enforcement seems unlikely, however, to be productive, MIT Technology Review has an account of how earlier attempts at such collaboration have fallen flat after initial promises of goodwill. Kaseya's ability to cope with the attack has received starchy reviews from those who believe, like the source's CRN quotes in its When Will They Ever Learn coverage, that the company shouldn't have left itself vulnerable to this kind of exploit in the first place. The Dutch Institute for Vulnerability Disclosure says it discovered the Zero Day in April and promptly notified Kaseya. Kaseya was in the process of addressing the issue when the attack hit, so arguably the company's response was dilatory. It certainly came, unfortunately, just a bit too late. But it's also true that other organizations have been caught on the hop by an unexpected exploit before— Some other observers have given Kaseya much better notices. Electronic Engineering, for example, describes Kaseya as swiftly responding to contain the damage. The company's public communication about the incident has been regular and clear. The CyberWire has more extensive coverage on our website, where we continue to follow the story. 
Other ransomware attacks also continue to surface. The Wiregrass Electric Cooperative, a small rural electrical utility in the U.S. state of Alabama, was hit with a ransomware attack that seems unrelated to the Kaseya incident. This seems not to be the long-feared assault on critical infrastructure or industrial control systems, but rather the more familiar attack on an organization's IT. Business systems and not control systems were affected, Security Week says. The cooperative says it did not lose any data, but it did take member account information and payment systems offline as a precaution. KELA takes a look at the way ransomware gangs operate today and sees the division of labor one finds wherever craft develops into industry. In this case, there are five distinct stages in an attack, and they're increasingly entrusted to criminal specialists. They are code, code or acquire malware with the desired capabilities, spread, infect targeted victims, extract, maintain access to infected machines, and monetize, get profits from the attack. Ars Technica writes that Microsoft's out-of-band patch that addressed the print nightmare vulnerability may be incomplete and that it might be possible for attackers to bypass the protections the fix put in place. And finally, Britain's High Court has agreed to hear a U.S. appeal of a lower court's denial of extradition in the case of Julian Assange. That denial had been predicated on fears that the American jails and prisons that would hold the WikiLeaks proprietor wouldn't be able to protect him from suicide. Mr. Assange faces U.S. federal espionage charges. The Wall Street Journal reports that American reassurances about conditions of confinement swayed the high court, and specifically a promise that, should he be convicted, Mr. Assange wouldn't be held in a supermax correctional facility. According to the Washington Post, the U.S. Justice Department offered the prospect that Mr. Assange could serve out any sentence in an Australian prison. The gentleman is, of course, an Australian native. The date for the extradition hearing has not been set. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. 
Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. There are encouraging signs that cybersecurity is seeing its workforce grow more diverse. It's happening slowly. Kwame Yamgane is CEO at Quasar Silicon Valley. He joins us with thoughts on inspiring young people of color to pursue careers in cyber. There is no so much people of color right now in the U.S. who really embrace the tech field as a career for them. If you take a look on statistics, like especially if you take like tech giants like uh, Google, Apple, Facebook, and so on, like the percentage of um, black people in the tech, for example, is really under the ratio of what you have in the U.S. right now uh, by three or four. So, um, so basically, there is like. Um, uh, a huge room uh, for improvement there uh, to have more kids who are able to embrace like um, career in the tech, uh, especially from the diverse population and like the uh, African-American, for example. And how can we go about inspiring these kids uh, to take their place in cybersecurity? So it's um, it's a it's a very good question. So first, I think there is a question of of model model role of people who can show to the kids like it's 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 a career with like a lot of opportunities like uh, six-figure paying jobs and there is no issue for them to to get access to this kind of um, of job except that uh, today it's difficult to find like uh, for them this kind of role so I think like to give access to more uh, diverse people and more color people to the to the job in the tech, uh, there is like multiple question here. Um, the first one is a question of role model. Like right now, if you see like usually like most of the people that are considered like the big leaders of the of the tech, it's difficult to have like uh, black people to show to the kids. And that's a first thing. So it's important for them. It's important to have more and more black people, more and more in the black and the tech industry uh, who can show the role to the kids. And the second part is like the accessibility to this kind of education. Uh, to become a, a software engineer, a full stack developer, all this kind of job, this requires to get access to very high end education. And we know like there is a direct correlation between issues for this, for the kids to get access to this kind of education on where they come from, who they are, uh, from which social layer they are. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a big challenge that we have to solve. 
Yeah, we see study after study that shows that, uh, you know, diversity of thought, bringing in people from different backgrounds leads to better outcomes. Is this a matter of of companies embracing that notion and, and making the investment to to make sure that there's a pipeline for these folks to come into the industry? So, correct. Uh, obviously, there is like this kind of things, but there is like something that is slightly more difficult to, to understand, which is like when you create a company, a company is really connected to the, to the culture of the founders. So it's one of the most important pieces inside a company is to have like really the culture that fit with the founder. We want everybody to be aligned and to work together to the success of the company. That's Kwame Yamgane from Quasar Silicon Valley. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Caleb Barlow. He is the CEO of Synergistech. Uh, Caleb, it's always great to have you back. I wanted to check in with you today on cyber insurance, the kinds of things that you are seeing and tracking from your point of view. What's the latest? Well, Dave, it's a changing, right? And, you know, cyber insurance, I think, was something that if you wind back five or 10 years, lots of insurance providers wanted to get in the market. It was relatively inexpensive. And I think a lot of CISOs and boards looked at it as a way to defer risk. When the biggest thing you were potentially impacted with was the loss of data. So you insured that risk, which you know would often be maybe paying some regulatory fines and maybe having to notify the people whose data you lost. But, Pay for some, some credit monitoring, right? Yeah, but that really <laughs> isn't what we're seeing nowadays, right? I mean, some of these losses can easily total up $50, $60 million or more. There've been some breaches that have been well over two, 300 million. And- you know, these insurers are starting to also get more sophisticated to realize that, well, maybe you don't have the right tools in place and maybe I shouldn't insure you. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, how much are the insurance companies sort of, I don't know, driving the conversation of saying, you know, I, I often think about, you know, if I if I want to insure my building, my insurer is going to come and say, well, you better have sprinklers, you better have fire extinguishers, you know, those sorts of things. Are the insurance companies able to to uh, guide things in those directions when it comes to cyber insurance? Well, they're, they're kind of putting a toe in the water. And the challenge the insurers have is, on one hand, they want to ask all these questions. But on the other hand, they still want to win your business. So, mm. you know, I was looking at, you know, kind of our last renewal. And, and what I noticed is a few interesting questions pop up. Do you have two-factor authentication? And then later is, mm. well, is it on everything or just like one thing? <laughs> and do you have do you have EDR? And they actually knew what EDR was. 
Um, Hmm. They even listed the names of some companies, right? Now, the funny thing was, nowhere on here did it ask things like, you know, is your network segmented? And really basic stuff. But they're starting to ask a couple of the questions that you'd expect to see in an environment where things are more mature. Now, what they're Hmm. not doing yet, and they're not going in yet and saying, hey, I actually need somebody to go in and do a full assessment of your security posture. I think that's coming at some point down the road. They're trying to gather as much information as they can from the outside. You know, there are a lot of tools out there that will do kind of attack surface visualization. They're using some of those tools, but you can see where it's headed. And here's the bigger thing, Dave. If you answer in the negative to some of these questions, a lot of these policies are gonna step out. You know, we Hmm. had a situation where uh, we were, one of our supply chain vendors was breached. So it had nothing to do with us, right? Further on down the stream. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when we were going out to bid, we obviously had to disclose this because it was an active incident, even though it was our, not ours. And uh, we actually had one company step away. Uh, nope, no, we're out. It's, hmm. and they didn't even bother to understand even what it was about, right? But you're also seeing a lot of uh, folks specifically prohibit any solar winds claims as an example. Oh, Interesting. I can't help wondering if if we're headed towards a situation similar to flood insurance where you know the federal government has to be a backstop because it's it's just not a good business for anybody else to be in. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I, I think what really got my attention was when in Warren Buffett, one of his latest conversations, you know, he basically indicated, look, I only want so much coverage on cyber from all of my insurance companies. And that that really got my attention. I don't know if we're quite at the point where, you know, we need to kind of go the federal flood insurance route, although it's not the first time I've heard that conversation. I I think the bigger point is insurance companies at some point here are going to start to get really smart and they're going to start to understand what actually is your security posture and do I feel comfortable underwriting you or not? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Caleb Barlow, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dave. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. 
Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.